Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, I hope you had a good holiday weekend. Looks like a lot of people slept in, but you are the Marines, the few and the proud that are that are here today, and we are glad that that you are here on this holiday weekend. Hey, have anything ever happened in your life before and you thought, well, that's not quite the way I expected it to be? Well, a few years ago on my uh, 10th anniversary here at the church, the church redid my entire office, really made it very nice. And one of the things they did is they put a beautiful orchid on one of the desks there in the office. And uh, they said, all you have to do, uh, because we know you're not going to take care of it, is once a week, put an ice cube in it, and it'll be okay. One ice cube once a week. And I said, okay, that's great. So that flower lasted maybe six months before I killed it for lack of ice cube uh, that was in it. So I tell them, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I killed your, your orchid. And so they got me another one. And I said, okay, this time I'm going to do better. So for the last year and a half, I had put an ice cube once a week in the orchid to make sure it was okay. And then, as you all know, I was sick. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Uh, I got back into church. Everything was crazy. And I'd forgotten all about my ice cube. And what I noticed was the orchid was no worse to wear. It kept, it was as beautiful as it was the day I got it. And so I began to look at it. And you know what I discovered? It's fake. It's not real. Been putting an ice cube in it for a couple of years, but it's just a fake orchid. So it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be uh, when we got in there and we got started. Well, we're going to look over into Luke chapter 15 today in one of the most well-known and popular stories in the entire Bible. But what you're going to see today is that even though everything you've heard about these stories are true, they're absolutely 100% true and they're good, it's not quite what you think it is. There's a much different point sometimes than we make. And in telling the good story, we sometimes miss the drama of the real point that's being made. So turn over to Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And the first thing we see is this. We divide the people uh, up into good people and bad people. Good people and bad people. Look over to Luke chapter 15. And what we see at the very beginning is Jesus is telling us what this story is all about. And we miss that. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And so Jesus now has gathered. He's going to do teaching. And who shows up to hear him? It's all of the bad people in town, tax collectors, sinners, anybody you might think of. Now, tax collectors, as we've said before, particularly hated because they were considered traitors to Israel. They were collecting money for a foreign occupying power, Rome. It wasn't just that they didn't like paying taxes. They were taking the money from the people and giving it to Rome. And so a tax collector was considered a traitor. So the worst traitors in town and the biggest sinners are the people who've shown up to see Jesus and to hear his teachings. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to mutter. Now, when it says begin to mutter, they begin to, to grumble about what Jesus is doing, who he's meeting with. Why is he talking to these people uh, to begin with? Uh, have you ever heard anybody mutter? They say it just loud enough so you can hear them, but they act like they didn't want you to or something like that. 
I remember one time we were on a cruise and they had a big splash competition. And so I entered the big splash competition, you know. And so I'm walking up for my time. They've introduced me. I'm about to jump in the water and some kid mutters to his mom, oh my goodness, that guy's going to win for sure. (laughs) Now, I think he thought that because of my tremendous athletic prowess. And he knew that, that that's why I was going to win for sure. I will put this as a side note, though. I won, okay? So the kid can be a smart aleck all he wants. I got the little cruise ship trophy, okay? It's on my desk right now if you want to come see it uh, afterwards. But, you know, you're muttering something just loud enough to be heard. And look at what, he mut- what they mutter. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, that last part you might think is a throwaway, but it's not. What's the problem the religious leaders are having right now is that Jesus is hanging around people he shouldn't hang around with. These are bad hombres. He's welcoming them. He's getting together with them. He's, he's not only that, he's eating with them. Now, that might just be a throwaway to you, but in the Jewish culture, you could, you could witness to a bad person, even do business with a sinner or something like that, but you didn't eat with them. Eating was considered a very personal act where you were recognizing someone as being your friend if you were actually eating with them. And so by eating with these people, Jesus was saying, I'm welcoming them and who they are. So Jesus is either a good pad, a good person who's totally confused at who he's with, or he's a bad person hanging out with people that shows he's a bad person. But there's nothing good about this. Because the way they view the world is there are good people and there are bad people. And, of course, they're the good people. Uh, they're the ones uh, that everybody should be proud of. Uh, they are the uprighteous people that God loves indeed. Now, uh, I remember a, a former church I was at. Uh, we had a big uh, a celebration every year in the park. And uh, our church decided we had a little booth and we were going to give away uh, a really nice study Bible. And so, you know, I went to the Lifeway bookstore, I bought this really expensive study Bible. We, we uh, uh, gave away the study Bible. And when the drawing was held and the name was, was mentioned, uh, everybody kind of looked around strange. And then a lady from the church came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Chip, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, what's the matter? And she said, the name that you called? And I said, yeah. And she goes, that man is going to prison next Monday, uh, has to check himself in. He shouldn't be getting that Bible. We should get it to somebody that really deserves it. And uh, I begin to think, well, who needs the Bible more than somebody that's going to jail? But the idea is there's good people, there's bad people, and the two shouldn't mix at all. And so that's the problem that they're having with Jesus right here. And so verse 3 said, so Jesus tells them these stories. So that's the setup. That colors everything we're going to talk about from here on. You have a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders, and Jesus is going to get in the face of the religious leaders, okay? And, and we hear these stories, and we talk about the story of the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son, and there's such nice stories about love and forgiveness, and they are. But we miss the fact this is a major confrontation. And the reason Jesus is showing these stories is to show these people they're 100% wrong in what they're thinking and what they're doing. This is a very in-the-face stuff. And we just take it as being really simple, sweet kind of things that are there. And so let's look on in our story and see what we find out. We see the 
the, the, the lines have been drawn. The religious leaders, good people, bad people. You're hanging out with bad people. And let's see the three stories Jesus tells. And that's the next thing uh, that we see in our scripture. God loves everyone and wants every lost person found. God loves everyone and wants every lost person found. Now, the first story Jesus tells is in verses 4 through 7. And in verses 4 through 7, uh, Jesus tells the story of, law, of a lost sheep. There's 100 sheep. Uh, one of the sheep uh, gets away, wanders off. And so the shepherd looks for the sheep. Why is he looking for the sheep that's disappeared? It's valuable. It's in danger. Uh, it could be eaten. It could starve. It could fall off somewhere and be hurt. And so this sheep is very valuable. Uh, it's lost and in danger. And so he searches for it. And when he finds it, he comes home, he rejoices, and he throws a party. But then look down to verse 7, where this is the part where Jesus explains the story to the religious leaders who are saying there's good people, bad people. You shouldn't be hanging out with these people. Verse 7, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need any repentance. Now, what's he mean by that? There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 good people. Does that mean God says, okay, all you good church people, God doesn't care about you? No, it's not saying that at all. It's what he's saying is you're safe. You're okay. You're taken care of. But there's one that's in danger and that is valuable and that I'm concerned about because it's not safe like you are. And so when the one that is in danger and lost is found, there's more rejoicing in heaven than over 99 people who are safe and secure and have God's love and will and grace and are going to heaven because it was in danger and now it's been found. Then he tells a second story in verses 8 through 10, very similar, about 10 silver coins. A lady loses one of the coins. The coin's very valuable. It's a tenth of everything she owns. She sweeps the floor. She looks for it. She finds the silver coin. And when she finds it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors and she throws a big party. And then in verse 10, Jesus tells the point of the story. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so here you have the religious leaders who are saying you shouldn't be around these bad people. And then this is what Jesus says about these bad people. Every one of them is valuable to God. There's not a person on this planet that God did not create, that God does not love and isn't valuable to God. The second thing is every person on this planet that is away from God is in danger. They are in danger of wasting their life. They are in danger of hell. They are people that God is saying, look, uh, they're valuable. I love them. I created them and they're in danger. So they deserve an all out search. We need to be doing everything we can to find those who are away from God and bring them into a relationship with God. And then the last thing he says is this, when that one person who is lost comes to God, everyone that is saved should rejoice. We should all be thrilled. We're okay. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We have God with us. When one person finds that same grace and love and forgiveness, there should be rejoicing. Something valuable is lost. It deserves an all-out search. When it is found, there needs to be rejoicing. 
This is in your face to the religious leaders. He is telling them, you might not value these people. You might think they're bad people that we don't need to be concerned about and need to stay away from them so that they don't pollute us. But I'm telling you, every one of these people that you're looking down on are valuable to God, loved by him, worth an all-out search, and should cause great rejoicing when they come to God. And so Jesus is now saying, okay, it's not quite what you think that it is. And that brings us to the third thing that we see. The question then becomes, do you want justice or do you want grace? Do you want justice or do you want grace? So Jesus tells a third story. And the third story is the one we call the prodigal son. And it's a very sweet story. It's about a young man who feels like, Life isn't giving him what he wants. And so he goes to his father and he says, give me my part of the inheritance now. Now, here's the younger son's problem. The older son is going to inherit all the, all the family lands and fortunes and be in charge. Now, he's still going to get a good inheritance. His father is going to take care of him. But the older son, as the eldest, is going to actually become the head of the family farm and business and all of that. And he's thinking, this isn't fair. And so I don't want to stay around and have my older brother get all this stuff and me basically work for him. I want my part of the inheritance now. So the father gives it to him. Now understand, this probably put them in a bad situation. To give away a major part of your, of your inheritance at one time probably put everything in danger. The young man then takes this. He goes out and we're told he engages in wild living. Now, I'll let you fill in the blank as to what wild living is, okay? I won't fill that in for you. For me, wild living is staying up till midnight watching television or something like that. You know, that's wild living. So, so you, you think whatever you can when you think of wild living. So he, he wastes all of his father's money, gets a job feeding pigs. Uh, he's so hungry that he'd like to eat what the pigs are eating. And then he thinks, man, what am I doing? At my father's house, there's all kinds of food. I just need to go home and ask my father to forgive me. And so he comes home, and when he's a, while, a long way away, his father sees him. Now, he thinks he's going to be condemned when he comes home. I've wasted half of your inheritance. I've done terrible things, and now I'm trying to come back home. But when the father sees him, he's overjoyed. Why is the father overjoyed? Because this is his son. He loves him. He's been worried about him since the day he left home. His heart has been broken. And now he sees his son coming home and he runs out to meet him. And the son says, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've been so stupid. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Just let me come work for you. And his dad says, man, none of that. You, my son, you were dead and now you're alive again. You were lost and now you're found. Kill the fatted calf, throw a party. There's going to be great rejoicing. Now that's where we always end this story. And isn't it a great story? It's a story about a father's unbelievable love and forgiveness for a child who couldn't have been any worse. And we hear that and we think, man, God loves me. God forgives me. What a great, sweet story. But the story of the prodigal son doesn't end there. Now, what you've heard is true, and it is reliable. God loves and forgives and accepts you no matter what you're doing. But here's the truth of the matter is, that's not why Jesus told the story. It's not the point of the story. 
The point of the story is the conflict he's having with the religious leaders who say there are good people and bad people and you shouldn't be hanging around with the bad people. And so then Jesus tells the rest of the story. And it's more in your face than the first two stories were. So let's go see what happens in our scriptures. We keep going down to verse 25. Look down to verse 25 of chapter 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? And he was told, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became so angry that he refused to go in. And so suddenly the whole story changes like that. The older son comes in, hears the music and dancing. What's going on? Your brother has returned. Your father's overjoyed, killed the fatted calf, and they're partying. He gets so angry, he doesn't go back in. Why is he angry? What's his younger brother done to this family? He's taken half of the inheritance. He nearly ruined the family. They almost lost everything because of him. And then he goes out and he doesn't just take it. He wastes it in the worst kind of living. And this boy has been home working himself to death in the fields. He's just come in. He's dirty and sweating. He's given it his all. And now this punk comes home and the father kills the fatty calf and throws a party. It's not right. It's not fair. I am angry at my father. I hate my brother. There's no way I would go into a party for a boy that's just ruined our whole family. He broke my father's heart. Do you know how many times I've sat there and talked to my father as he cried and hurt over this child and now they're throwing a party for him? No way. I want none of it. Wow. That's a different part of the story than we normally hear, isn't it? We don't think about that very much. And so the father comes out and look at what we're told. Verse 28. The older brother became so angry, he refused to go in. His father went out and began to plead with him. Please come in. Listen to the boy in verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Now, if you're the dad, how does that make you feel? You're my older son. I love you with a passion. You're going to inherit everything. But how's the older son feel about it? I've been working for you like a slave and I obeyed all of your commands. Is that what you want from your children? To one day say, I was a good child. I served them like a slave and obeyed their commands. Is that what you want your children to say about you? Would that break your heart if that's how your children viewed you? But that's how he views his father. I'm just working for you. I've given it my all. And the point is this. I'm deserving. He's not. I'm deserving. I've worked. I put in my time. I've slaved. I'm dirty and sweaty right now. 
It's not right that he's getting this. He then goes on, keep reading in our scripture. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. How come he gets the fatted calf for a big party? You never gave me anything. He's getting something I didn't get and I deserve it and he doesn't. And then the father, keep reading. But when this son of yours who has squandered all of your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fatted calf for him. So he can't even call his brother his brother any longer. He is so angry at him. He hates him so much that he calls him your son instead of my brother. So what's the problem we have here? You have a young man who says this isn't right. I worked hard. I deserved it. He doesn't deserve the celebration. He doesn't deserve the forgiveness. He doesn't deserve any of this. Is he right? Yes. He's 100% right. His younger brother deserves none of it. He almost destroyed the family. He broke his father's heart. He almost ruined the farm. He wasted everything. He deserves none of it. He certainly doesn't deserve a celebration. But then we get down to what do you really want in this world? Do you want justice or do you want grace? Because if you want justice, like the older son was saying, then you've got to understand it's not just justice for the bad people, it's justice for you. And when we begin to compare ourselves to a perfect God, we begin to understand that maybe I'm good compared to somebody else, but I'm not good compared to God. If you want justice, you know what it means? It means you get justice and you go to hell. Do you want that? Yeah, but I was better than him. What's that mean? An F is 64 to zero, so you got a 60 and they got a 20. Guess what? You both fail. And so do you want justice? Do you really want justice? Because that's what the son was saying, or do you want grace? Now, the problem is, like with the religious leaders, when you divide the world into good and bad, it colors everything. You don't deserve it. It's too extravagant. It's not fair. When somebody is a sinner who is supposed to go to hell, doesn't deserve it, what they're given is extravagant grace. I forgive you of everything, make you my child and an heir of my kingdom. They don't deserve that. So we get this attitude, I'm a good person. I've worked hard. I've done everything I should do. You're bad people. You don't deserve it. And so we begin to think that the most important things are the law and moralism. We become uptight, judgmental, better than thou art, goody two-shoes, self-righteous hypocrites. And that doesn't draw the world to anybody. Now, let me have you think about this for just a second. What if the first person the younger son had encountered when he came home had been his older brother? Would he have been saved and back in the family? No. He would have been condemned, ridiculed, and sent on his way. My friends, there are a lot of very good Christians in this world, very sincere, who are trying to live right and do right, 
that divide the world into good and bad, and they're pushing people away from God. Because when they show up, we're judgmental, we're angry, you don't deserve it, I show you the door. None of us deserve it. None of us should be given what God has given us. It's all grace. But when we get this attitude that somehow we're better than other people, we basically become bullies uh, to a lost world, and we forget how we were saved in the grace that we got. I remember a former church where I pastored. Uh, there was one church that, that uh, in all their stuff, they would say, we're the only church in town that believes in the Bible. And so one, one uh, afternoon, I was talking to a lady from the church, and she said, you know, we're the only evangelical church in our town. And I said, well, you know, I kind of think we are. You know, we, you know we, we believe Jesus saves. We're trying to lead people to Christ. And she said, let me tell you something. Our pastor has visited so many people to tell them about Jesus in this, week, in this month that in one month he wore out a whole new pair of shoes. Tell me what you all are doing. And I said, well, I'll tell you what you should be doing. And she said, what's that? And I said, you should be paying that man more money so he can buy a decent pair of shoes that don't wear out in a month. Now, she didn't appreciate that very much. I personally thought it was funny. Uh, but, you know, some you do for yourself, you know. But the attitude is, we're just better, and we look down on everybody else. So that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. The proper attitude that we should have is joy. The proper attitude that we should have is joy. Look down at verse 31. So the son has just gone off. He's gone off on his dead. Can't believe you did this. He doesn't deserve it. You killed the fatted calf for you. I'm angry. I'm not going in. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The first thing the father does is he puts it in perspective. You think you're being put upon. You think he's getting something that you don't have and that you deserve and he's giving giving it. Let me tell you, I've always been with you. I've always loved you and everything I have is yours. You're going to inherit it all. What have you gotten while your brother was away in riotous living? Your brother ruined his life, hit rock bottom, and almost died. While he was doing that, you were fed, sheltered, loved, and have everything you could have ever wanted, and one day you inherited all. What have you missed out on? You're the one that was blessed. Why would you think that somehow he was getting something that you didn't have, He's, he was at the point of death. You've been at the point of plenty and love and acceptance since the day you were born. You're not losing something by him getting something. And then his father says this, we have reason to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Now look at the turn of phrase that he uses here. What did the brother say? This son of yours has wasted everything. And what's the father say? No, your brother was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And he's your brother. You should be celebrating. (coughs) So he puts it all in perspective. You see, when we become self-righteous and think we deserve it, it divides. 
when we appreciate grace and what God has done for us, it brings us together. It means we celebrate. I'm not worried about myself anymore. God loves me. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Now I can worry about other people and want them to have the same blessing I've had. That brings us together. That holds us together. This was an in-your-face confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus wanted them to know every person in this world is valuable. Every person in this world deserves an all-out search. And when they're found, they deserve great celebration. A few years ago, we were, I was in Haiti uh, with a church that I pastored in Owensboro uh, at that Blanquette Baptist Church that several of you have been to. And um, right before we got there, the witch doctor in the little town of Blanquette had burned the church to the ground. Uh, and the church met the next Sunday morning in the, in the ashes of the old banana from hut that they used to meet in. And uh, then the next day, the witch doctor put all this stuff in the ground, cursing the ground and everything uh, that was there. Then our group showed up, and we built the nicest place in that entire village, a brand-new sanctuary building. And we didn't think we was going to get it completed because it was terrible weather. It rained every day. We didn't even think we were going to get to the church uh, a couple of days. But somehow, miraculously, we finished that church. And we had the first service that Sunday morning. I mean, we built the pews. We did, we did everything. You all didn't know I could do that, did you? Well, actually, my job was to take people water. But uh, I was still, that was important. Dehydration? Come on now. You know? And so that Sunday morning, I preach. So he knows good. And then I give the invitation. During the invitation, a young lady walks forward. And as she's walking forward, at first, the church is kind of like, what's going on here? And I'm thinking, okay, should I, should I step back and be ready? You know, what's going on? She gets down front. She begins to mutter to the pastor loud enough to be heard in Creole, which I didn't understand. And everybody in the church jumps up and starts screaming and clapping their hands People were crying and running down the aisles and hugging her. And I'm kind of standing there going, okay. You know, I guess it really was a good sermon or something like that. You know. And the pastor looked up at me and said, this is the witch doctor's daughter. And she just came forward and said, I need your Jesus because your God's power is stronger than my father's power. And I've seen it this week, every day as this church has gone up. And the church unbelievably rejoiced. What if they would have said, you're a witch doctor's daughter. You've lived bad your whole life. You don't deserve it. You shouldn't even have walked in this building this morning. I'll dare you. Get away from these good people. But instead, an entire village rejoiced. Because one who was dead was alive, and one who was lost was found. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the love you have for us. Lord, help us to appreciate what you've done for us. We're never going to have the right attitude until we first appreciate what you've done in our lives. And when we do, Father, then we can just give it out to others. Help us to do that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.